Welcome to Forecast, the Foreshadow Podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. Foreshadow is a Christian literary magazine, and this season our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness in God. My name is Josh, and unlike most of our episodes, which feature conversations with other people, Today I'll share some highlights from the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, in connection with our theme and with work we've published on Foreshadow. But first, some updates. If you have been uh, subscribing to our weekly newsletter, you will notice that each week when we share a new work of poetry or fiction or nonfiction, it's usually related around a theme And that theme comes from one of the Songs of Ascents. And just a reminder, the Songs of Ascents are 15 psalms found in the Bible. Psalms 120 to 134. And these would have been sung by the Jews on their regular pilgrimages to Jerusalem as they walked uh, and journeyed to, to the temple. And so we've been trying to match our works of writing Um, with each of these psalms. Uh, We did take a break for uh, Holy Week and Easter and um, the Ascension, where um, during those weeks we we shared works of writing that connected with the themes of those holy days. But since then we returned to the Songs of Ascents, and now we're nearly finished. Um, This week we'll be sharing uh, work related to Psalm 134, Uh, 133, and next week, 134. And then uh, after a week's break, we will return the cycle back to Psalm 120. And that will carry us through 15 weeks up to Psalm 134 um, at the end of the season. And um, so we look forward to continuing this journey, um, sharing powerful works of writing that we've been really blessed to receive from writers from around the world, uh, and in dialogue with this theme of the Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage, and Worship. We're also looking forward to our theme next year, um, which is In the Image, In the Flesh, Creation and Incarnation, exploring more deeply what it means to be made in the image of God and to be made as fleshly, bodily creatures. And we've already received some really powerful works of writing that go with that theme. And so, uh, although I'm I'm excited about the rest of this season, I'm also excited about transitioning to next year's theme. And and especially since it flows from our theme of pilgrimage as well, one reason being that a pilgrimage is something that's very physical. It's it's a it's a physical journey usually that that one takes um, that involves um, toil and effort and sweat. And now some background into the way of a pilgrim. This spiritual classic was written in the 1800s by an anonymous Russian peasant. It tells of his desire to pray without ceasing, as the Apostle Paul instructs. Christians to do, and this pilgrim discovers a way to do that 
through calling on the name of Jesus over and over again. The book describes the various people he meets on his own pilgrimages, first to Siberia, then to Jerusalem, and how both they and he are transformed, especially through calling on Jesus' name. And this prayer that the pilgrim prays is an ancient prayer, which is known as the Jesus Prayer, and it has its roots in Scripture and in the Church and Desert Fathers. Many Church Fathers write about this prayer in the book called the Philokalia, which is one of the pilgrim's constant companions. And as if you've been listening to our podcast, you will know that one of the questions we ask our guests is, what are the texts that nourish and strengthen your faith? Well, the Philokalia and more deeply the Jesus Prayer are texts that clearly nourish the faith of this pilgrim as he continually returns to them on his journey and draws strength from them. Although there are variations of the Jesus Prayer, it is often prayed as, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this uh, draws from various places in Scripture, such as the Psalms and uh, the prayer of the publican in the parable that Jesus gives of the uh, publican and the tax collector. Um, uh, Sorry, the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the tax collector uh, prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So why are we discussing this book on this podcast? Well, one, it's very interesting to me personally. I've wanted to read it for a while. Um, Ever since I started exploring Orthodox Christianity, um, this has been one book that has often come up in recommendations. It also obviously relates to our theme of pilgrimage, uh, and both in terms of the outward journey and the inward journey. Throughout the story, the pilgrim is on an outward physical journey, primarily to Jerusalem, but he also goes on some side quests. Uh, But it's also clearly about the inward journey, as the pilgrim yearns for communion with God through praying Jesus' name. So this episode will not be a comprehensive um, summary or even a review of the book, but rather some highlights that I've really connected and resonated with that I hope you will find useful and helpful too in this exploration of pilgrimage and worship. And I will be connecting some of these highlights with some work we recently published on Foreshadow to deepen the dialogue. So first I'd like to read the first two paragraphs of the book just to give you a little glimpse into the book and maybe whet your appetite for the book. So, this is the beginning. By the grace of God, I am a Christian. By my deeds, a great sinner. And by my calling, a homeless wanderer of humblest origin, roaming from place to place. My possessions consist of a knapsack with dry crusts of bread on my back, and in my bosom, the Holy Bible. This is all. On the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, I came to church to attend the liturgy and entered just as the epistle was being read. The reading was from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, which says in part, Pray constantly. These words made a deep impression on me, 
and I started thinking of how it could be possible for a man to pray without ceasing, when the practical necessities of life demand so much attention. I checked my Bible and saw with my own eyes exactly what I had heard, that it is necessary to pray continuously, to pray in the Spirit on every possible occasion, in every place to lift your hands reverently in prayer. I thought and thought about these words, but no understanding came to me. What shall I do, I thought? Where can I find a person who will explain this mystery to me? And so the story continues, explaining the various people he speaks to and where he eventually finds, um, if not an answer, then um, a prayer that, he, that can enable him to pray ceasingly, which I suppose is his answer. One of the people that he speaks to says to him, after, he, uh, explain, after the pilgrim uh, explains the joy he, he has at discovering the, the Jesus prayer, uh, the person says to him, Thank God, dear brother, for this insatiable desire to understand ceaseless mental prayer. Recognize in this a call from God and be at peace. Believe that up to this time your seeking was in accordance with God's will, and you were given to understand that heavenly light regarding continuous prayer is not reached by worldly wisdom and superficial curiosity. On the contrary, it is discovered in the spirit of poverty and simplicity of heart through active experience. Those lines resonate with me because they show that this, um, this desire of the pilgrim to, um, to seek wholeheartedly um, the answer to this question he had, similar to how Jesus says in one of his parables that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who discovers a treasure in a field and sells all he has to purchase that field that pilgrim had that same desire to find the answer. And, um, and that desire was not a mistake, uh, even though it might have cost this pilgrim, it changed his life completely from what he was doing before. Um, it was not a mistake. It, it had its origins in God. Uh, the, um, the man says, recognize in this a call from God. And so um, that relates to our theme of last year of vocation, calling. That um, perhaps our quest for God itself is a calling. And what that may lead us to places we had never expected we would go. I can, sp uh, I can speak from personal experience of how I, I did not expect to be where I am today. And, and I believe much of that has come from a desire to 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 seek God and to connect with God. Um, but that's not a mistake, that perhaps this seeking was in accordance with God's will, and that um, the pilgrim, that we too in our search, we can be at peace. Later in the book, the pilgrim has been trying to get to Jerusalem, but his plans change and he, he isn't able to make it there, but instead he finds that 
God has still been with him in spite of the changed plans. He writes, The Russian proverb which says that man proposes and God disposes is indeed true. Today I was supposed to be on my way to the holy city Jerusalem, but as you can see, I am still here. A totally unexpected incident compelled me to stay another three days in this city, and I could not leave without coming to see you once again, to share with you what had happened and to ask for your advice. So, giving a little spoiler, the pilgrim never actually makes it to Jerusalem, as far as I understand. But instead, he finds that although he doesn't get to his destination, or his intended destination, God has been with him, and God has actually brought him to where uh, God wanted him to be, even though that's not where he himself intended to be. And um, that connects to a lot of what we've been speaking about in, in our, on our podcasts. If you've listened to our episodes, you will know that um, a lot of them have been about, uh, we've had conversations with people who have um, gone to places they never thought they would be. Um, they might have intended to go to one country, but circumstances led them to another. And they've reflected on the various twists and turns that their life has taken. Um, I think of uh, the episode I had with, uh, the conversation I had with the poet Linda McCulloch Moore, and she read her poem, Asylum. And uh, in the poem it asks, Do you intend to be where you are now? something along those lines, causing us to reflect on um, how oftentimes life takes us in, in directions we had not intended. But here the pilgrim sees God's hand at work in those twists and turns and, um, and discovers that uh, what to some may be a mistake is actually uh, the foundation for a blessing. Another line that stands out to me, and this is a theme that we see throughout the book, is when the pilgrim writes that what is most unfortunate is that worldly wisdom compels these spiritual teachers to measure God's ways by human standards. Many approach prayer with a misunderstanding and think that the preparatory means and acts produce prayer. They do not see that prayer is the source of all good actions and virtue. So there he's describing that it's not good actions and virtue that create a good prayer life, but rather it's the other way around, that prayer is the foundation, and uh, strengthening our relationship with God through prayer then puts us in tune with the rest of our lives uh, and producing good fruit uh, in, in our actions and, and, and virtue. And... Um, for example, of this fruit, uh, there are several passages where the, uh, the pilgrim describes um, the effects that his prayer, his constant calling on the name of Jesus, uh, what effects that has on his relationships with other people and himself. And so I'll just read some of that now. I spent the rest of the summer reciting the name of Jesus vocally, and I enjoyed great peace. During my sleep, I often dreamed that I was praying. 
and if I happened to meet people during the day, they all seemed as close to me as if they were my kinsmen, even though I did not know them. And then later on, about a paragraph later, Again, I had no place to live. So I began to wander from place to place. But now my wandering was very different. Now there was no urgency driving me. The calling on the name of Jesus Christ comforted me on the road. All people seemed good to me, and I felt that everyone loved me. And it's not only the pilgrim's relationships with other people that are changed, but even his relationships with animals and, and the natural world. He says later on, When I began to pray with the heart, everything around me became transformed, and I saw it in a new and delightful way. The trees, the grass, the earth, the air, the light, and everything seemed to be saying to me that it exists to witness to God's love for man and that it prays and sings of God's glory. Now I understood what I had read in the Philokalia about the creature's knowledge of speech, and I saw how it was possible to communicate with God's creation. So it is through cultivating this connection with God, this um, life of prayer that the pilgrim feels at one with everything around him. And again later he describes this in, an, in other words. Ha hearing this, I was reminded of the saying of Nicetas Stethatos in the Philokalia, quote, The nature of things is judged by the inner attitude of the soul. That is, one infers and makes judgments from where he is. He in whom prayer and love are real does not see dichotomy in things. He does not separate the saint from the sinner, and does not judge, but loves all equally, as God does, who makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and unjust alike. End quote. And just one more example, um, a few pages later. Not only was I experiencing deep interior joy, but I sensed a oneness with all of God's creation. People, animals, trees, and plants all seemed to have the name of Jesus Christ imprinted upon them. At times I felt such freedom of movement that it seemed I had no body which walked, but I was delightfully carried through the air. At other times I descended within myself. I clearly saw all my organs and was astonished at the wisdom of the composition of the human body. At still other times I felt as happy as a king, and with all these consolations I had a great desire to die and be poured out in praise and thanksgiving at the feet of Christ in the world of the Spirit. So through being in rich communion with God constantly through prayer, the pilgrim is also in rich communion with everyone and everything around him, even with himself and the world within him. And now I'd like to read a poem we recently published on Foreshadow that I think illustrates this, um, this fruit of prayer really well. It's called To the Forest by Natasha Breedle. 
I go to the forest to find more of you. Spring is late coming. Naked trees compose a worn blanket over the land, softly stirring above a leaf burial. Branches elongate, as if to caress your spirit halfway to the sky. The sun seems a wingspan away. The world is not quiet, but I can hear less of it here. Here, where I stop in the middle of the trail and hold my breath, as if my presence is what keeps some beautiful thing from appearing. Here, where I wonder if my arm span can compute the ambiguous distance between us. Here, where I am so close to believing you are not so far. If a deer shifted amongst the brush, I would see it. If it dragged its hoof along the forest floor, I would feel it to the bone. If there was a fox, a rabbit, a robin, I would pledge myself to love them while existing with them. Funny how you are both everywhere and nowhere. I await something new and magnificent, only to receive what's already been given. I go to the forest to find more of you. I find you are so much more than something hidden instead. And I'd like to share another poem that we published on Foreshadow that is in line with this theme of oneness with the world around. And this one was published in 2021, so not in relation to our theme of pilgrimage, but still a lot of these uh, works connect uh, in amazing ways um, uh, even then with, with the themes that we are um, exploring. So this one is called if Anyone Asks, by Eileen R. Kinch. Tell the people, though I am dead, I am still alive. St. John the Wonder Worker. If anyone asks, put my body in the ground, at the meeting house, in a pine box. Let the soil claim me, but I will be here all around you. If anyone asks, I will be by the Susquehanna, waiting on the Lord. The river and I are one. In the womb I breathed in its waters with my gills. You'll find me there. If anyone asks, I will also be at home by the cornfields, waiting on the Lord. I will be eating backyard cherries and spitting out the seeds. May they be fruitful and multiply. If anyone asks, the Lord is near. When the deer pauses mid-mouthful and glances at me, I feel it. I see a knowing look in those eyes. When the river washes on and off my feet, I hear that voice in the sound of the water. Take off your shoes. Stand still. The Lord is near. In addition to describing the fruit of the prayer, the pilgrim also describes how, through continually praying the Lord's name, 
the prayer begins to uh, kind of pray through him, that God actually begins to pray through the pilgrim without even the pilgrim's um, effort in some ways. Similar to how the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, that it is not you who pray, but the Holy Spirit who prays within you, um, interceding to the Father on, on our behalf. And so the pilgrim describes this as follows. Anyone who becomes accustomed to this prayer will experience great comfort as well as the need to say it continuously. He will become accustomed to it to such a degree that he will not be able to do without it, and eventually the prayer will of itself flow in him. And so it seems that not only has he found that it is possible to pray without ceasing, and as he describes elsewhere, um, he's able to, to pray even while working, while talking with people, while going about his daily life. It's not only when he's sitting in his room praying, but this prayer flows through him throughout the course of his day, weaving itself in the midst of his activities. But he also discovers that the more he prays, the more he realizes he needs to pray and wants to pray. Elsewhere he writes, If I may, I would like to read something for you from the Philokalia, I said, and I opened the book to the section of Peter Damascene and began reading the following. It is more necessary to learn to call on the name of God than it is to breathe. The Apostle Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing, and by this he means that man is to remember God at all times, in all places, and under all circumstances. If you are making something, you should remember the Creator of all things. If you see light, you should remember Him who gave it to you. If you see the heavens, the earth, and sea, and all that is in them, you should marvel and praise God who called them all into being. If you are clothing yourself, remember the blessings of your Creator, and praise Him for being concerned about your well-being. In short, every action of every day should cause you to remember and praise God. And if you do this, then you will be praying ceaselessly, and your soul will always be joyful. So he discovers that everything we do can be an opportunity to remember God, to thank God, and thus to pray without ceasing. And this reminds me of a poem that uh, we published recently and heard the poet read himself, that poem being called From Here to Eternity by Alan Altaney. And um, if you go back a few episodes on Forecast, you can hear my conversation with Alan about the poem in which he describes uh, one of the lines of the poem um, where he says that um, basically uh, every moment um, and every place where we are contains eternity. And so if we can't um, encounter God now and here, where else can we encounter him? I think that was actually a, a, a from the conversation with him, but the poem also expresses this idea. So here is Alan reading this poem. From my computer and desk in this white-walled home office with Grunewald's crucifixion and resurrection on one wall 
an icon of Christ, crucifix, and photos of my kids and dog on another, this is my place to launch voyages in the geography of time, space, and even eternity. This is the hinterland for my work in writing poems about God and ants, sloth and saints, melancholy and mysticism. Wherever my mind and imagination take me through time and into the breach of eternity's saturation of the finite. This is my satellite orbiting earth, my mountaintop monastery, my daily pilgrimage of going nowhere. From this solitary place come visions, for your cell will teach you everything. Silence and strokes on the keyboard, soulfulness and simple love are here for creating a godly driven experiment of emptying my petulant ego drama, a place of gritty and painful grace under a spinning overhead fan as I leap and plow into mysteries where here and eternity are one. In that last line of Alan's poem, he describes that his room is where he is one with eternity, or it's at least a place where he can become one with eternity. And this resembles what the pilgrim, I believe, would describe of his own experience, that wherever he goes, whatever he's doing, he can too become one with eternity by descending into his heart by calling on the, the Lord's name in prayer. I used the term descending into his heart there because throughout the book, the pilgrim seems to describe uh, the direction that he goes interiorly as a descent deeper into his heart. Some places he describes it as descending from his mind into his heart. So I'd just like to read a passage about this descent. For the most part, my ignorance has been enlightened by interior prayer, which is the result of God's grace and the teachings of my late elder. What I have, every man can have. All that is necessary is to descend in silence into the depths of one's heart and call on the name of Jesus Christ frequently. In this way, one can experience interior light, and many things will become clear to him, even the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And what depth of mystery and what light there is when man realizes his ability to descend into himself, to see his inner self, to take pleasure in self-knowledge, to be touched and even to shed tears over his fallen and weakened will. It is not difficult to be reasonable and to speak sensibly with people, for the mind and the heart of man preceded knowledge and wisdom. When one has a mind, it is possible to cultivate it with learning and experience, but when there is no brain, no upbringing will help. The fact is that we are alienated from ourselves and have little desire, really, to know ourselves. We run in order to avoid meeting ourselves, and we exchange truth for trinkets while we say, I would like to have time for prayer and the spiritual life, but the cares and difficulties of this life demand all my time and energies. And what is more important and necessary, the eternal life of the soul 
or the temporary life of the body about which man worries so much. It is this choice which man makes that either leads him to wisdom or keeps him in ignorance. And so there the pilgrim is describing how this descent into oneself through prayer, this connection with God through this descent, is one of the most important things we can do and should be prioritized over other things because it, it tunes us, it puts us in the right frame through which we can live our earthly bodily experience in the best and fullest way. I'd like to now share a poem that we recently published called Descent. And although the poem isn't directly about prayer, it similarly describes um, this counterintuitive movement of descent rather than the way we often think of prayer as an ascent. And of course, these are metaphors, and I think both ascents and descents are appropriate, but um, but I think in my experience, I usually think of God as being up there somewhere rather than deep down within. And uh, from this book and from some of the things we've published and spoken about recently on uh, Foreshadow and Forecast, I think there's value in, in understanding the journey as also being a descent. So this poem is Descent by Sheila Dougal. I thought I'd go the highway, stay on the straight and narrow way. Yet, a child drawn away by shining things, I strayed. And then, aware of my drift, I turned to go the way up to heaven's gates. But I found the path does not ascend a craggy mountain. Rather, it winds down to the shadowed hollow, to the alleyways and wayward strays and lost prodigal children. There by the toilets with the addicted and the demented, with a handful of mud for the blind and pills for the resented mother with her depression and the son whose brain is now half missing, the result of a head-on collision, too much methamphetamine. There by the hospital bed and the marriage bed and the child's crib with tired legs I knelt, and epiphany. The song of ascents winds down. Deep calls to deep at the sound of descending. Rush to the valley, to the pool of still waters, where God heals his straying sheep. Something I appreciate about, appreciate about Sheila's poem is how it deals with the gritty realities of life and the challenges that people face, people with addictions or with relational issues, um, touching on subjects that we all uh, can relate to to some degree. And I'd now like to read a passage from The Way of a Pilgrim in which he describes someone who had an addiction but found healing through the gospel. The monk sympathized with my situation and said, My brother was once in a similar position, and I will tell you how he was cured. His spiritual father gave him a copy of the Gospels and strongly urged him to read a chapter whenever he wanted to take a drink. If the desire for a drink did not leave him after he read one chapter, he was encouraged to read another, and if necessary, still another. My brother followed this advice, 
and after some time he lost all desire for alcoholic beverages. It is now fifteen years since he has touched a drop of alcohol. Why don't you do the same and you will discover how beneficial the reading of the Gospels can be? This passage resonated with me because someone I know very well also had an, an, addic an addiction and that addiction was healed and, uh, uh, and that person was restored through God's grace and reading the, the Bible was a big part of that and um, they found that reading the Bible, the scriptures uh, um, replaced that addiction and um, consumed them in the way that the addiction had once consumed them. And although um, healing can take on many different forms, um, this passage just related to me because of how that person also had found healing through reading the Gospels and the Scripture. There was a similar passage uh, just a few pages later that really resonated with me, and it's where the pilgrim says that the holy name of Jesus Christ contains within itself all the truths of the gospel. The Holy Fathers say that the Jesus prayer is the abbreviated form of the gospel. The pilgrim doesn't unpack that, but um, I suppose we can unpack that in, with our imagination and with our reflections. And I think it's quite a powerful insight, thinking about the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, that's the begin beginning of it, as soon as we think of those words, what comes to mind but the things that our Lord did and said as we read about them and hear about them through the Gospels, how he traveled, how he healed people, how he taught, and, and the things that he taught, and the effect that he had on people's lives. And then the prayer continues, Son of God. And so there we see the power of his divinity um, and the source of his power. And then the prayer finishes, have mercy on me. And that, even that prayer, that, that uh, request, can be found in the Gospels as various people call out, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, and ask for Christ's healing, uh, whether they are blind or lame or have another issue. And so this prayer, in, in such a small uh, time and with just a few words, um, in it is packed so much and, um, and, and it calls to mind so much of the Gospels. One chapter in the book, chapter 3, uh, is just a few pages long, but I really appreciated the chapter because it goes into the pilgrim's backstory, and it made me appreciate this um, book not just as a spiritual um, guide, but also as a work of literature, because as we go and, and learn more about the, uh, the main character and, and hear about his past, um, I, I, the readers feel more connected and can relate to him as one does with good literature that describes characters in a relatable way. And so we learn in this chapter how he had an injury that prevented him from doing much work, how he had once had a wife, um, and af after their, um, their uh, challenging marriage in the sense of not having a, a lot of material possessions, but still a happy marriage, one that was rooted in Christ, um, 
and in love with each other and God, his wife became seriously ill and, um, and died soon after uh, receiving the Holy Eucharist. And so um, the pilgrim was left on his own. And then, um, so describing just more of what motivated him and what challenges he faced. Um, and then the chapter ends, and how old are you? Asked my spiritual father. I am 33 years old, the age of Christ. And so we see the pilgrim connecting his situation and rooting it in the life of Christ. And I could really just relate to uh, a lot of this chapter and relate to the pilgrim more after reading this chapter. And it also shows how each of us has our own backstories. And if we were to write our own version of the way of a pilgrim, seeing ourselves as pilgrims, this uh, chapter three of our own stories would all look uh, vastly different, but um, would have its own important part to play in the story of our lives. And so thinking about the challenges that the pilgrim has faced and um, the scope of his life, I'd now like to read a poem called Pilgrim's Song by Royal Roads that we published uh, uh, about a month or two ago. My body, broken like old bread that kept me alive, bears the sound of this last song I learned on the road, behind and before me. It was food for the way that each day provided. And when it is gone, none will remember. But what will you do with my heart? Well, we're nearly done with our journey through the, the way of a pilgrim, at least a few, a few highlights. And perhaps a fitting place to uh, nearly wrap up is with a topic of silence and how, um, how too many words can be problematic. And um, the pilgrim writes about this in a few locations, and I'll just read a few passages now, uh, two passages now. Now I realized why those in whom the self-activating prayer was real ran away from people and sought solitude. I also understood why the venerable Isaac calls even the most spiritual and beneficial but immoderate speech, empty talk, and why St. Ephraim of Syria says, Good speech is silver, but silence is pure gold. And then a few pages later, When I finished these accounts, I said to my spiritual father, Please excuse me, father, for talking so much. The Holy Fathers consider even spiritual but immoderate speech as empty talk. So as we wrap things up, I'd like to read a verse that the pilgrim quotes in at the beginning of chapter 4, and then read uh, one final poem that we published on Foreshadow. So this verse is from Psalm 73. Whereas my joy lies in being close to God, I have taken shelter in the Lord, continually to proclaim what you have done. And so the pilgrim finds his joy in being close to God and taking shelter in the Lord. And 
he does this through continually reminding himself and proclaiming of the Lord's mercy and calling on his name. And in doing so, he tastes a sweetness that is difficult to describe, it seems, unless one has experienced it for oneself. And that's what this final poem is about. It's called Sweet Savor by D.S. Martin. It's one thing to describe thunder's grumble to your ear and how the vibration penetrates your ribcage. Lightning cracking the night wide open, the keen downpour on your upturned face and the jitter of a cool trickle down the back of your neck. But what of a taste unknown to your hearer? Like this taste I've tasted and been swallowed by and seen. What of this goodness, this sweet savor? Next time, I will be doing a similar episode, um, but looking at the sequel to The Way of a Pilgrim, which is called And the Pilgrim Continues His Way. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would help if you write a review, email us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com, or connect on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other conversations. Thanks for listening and joining me. That's the forecast for today.